thank you for Jesus. Amen. If we're not for him, Lord, where will we be? And we are so thankful that Jesus is the blessed hope and the assurance that we have. And that eternal life is secure in him. That salvation, the gift of salvation, is free in him. Amen. We thank you also for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, please come and just take over um, the message tonight. Speak your words to us. Give us what we need, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that our minds and our hearts will open and receptive to receive what you have for us this evening. In Jesus' name, I pray. We pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite you, um, if you will, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark again, chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And we're going to, we're going to camp out there for a little while tonight. And we're talking about, or sharing about the encounter of the Master, Jesus, and the rich young ruler. And before we get into this one tonight, I just want to mention something about the Demoniac uh, that we shared about earlier. It's not, it's not switching on. Uh, that we, that we uh, mentioned or we shared about earlier, and that is this. Um, did the, those demoniacs, did they have the power within themselves to free themselves from those demons? Helpless, right? Powerless. I mean, they could not break free from those demons. And so the point, the point that I hope is coming through time and time again as we're looking at these different encounters, and there are so many. In fact, I, in other series that I do um, as I'm traveling, I also do the encounter series with Jesus and the woman with Yeshua, but Jesus and Jairus and his four-year-old daughter, um, Jesus and Zacchaeus. And, I mean, there's so many um, powerful encounters that Christ had with individuals and groups of people, but Here's the point that I want to share with you. So when you think back to our opening night and our first encounters, right, um, encounter of Jesus and John the Baptist, we have a man who is, who is committed, dedicated to his mission and his calling in John the Baptist. Thank you so much, Rick. Appreciate you. Thanks, Daryl. And here's, here's the thing that I, I want to share is that even, in, even though John was a man of God, and even though he was, we know that he was called for a specific and, and uh, you know, mission and purpose. Even John struggled with questions while he was in a dungeon, while he was in a jail cell. Um, maybe he was dealing with some, with some insecurities, right, about himself. Maybe he was dealing with uh, um, questions in regards to his own mission and purpose. I mean, Christ, you know, he asked the question. And asked, told his disciples to go and ask Jesus the question, are you the one, or are we to expect another? And so the point that I want to make is that even for those of us who are called to ministry or called um, to a certain line of work or we know our mission and our calling and our purpose, doesn't mean that we are exempt from human emotion and human feelings and, and even, you know, um, some insecurities that we may deal with, some questions that we may have, right, regarding our calling and our mission from God. So I want us to understand that. And then on the second night, we talked about Nicodemus. And what I want to share with you is that we're talking about the human condition and God's answer to it. And the, and, and, and the, the remedy that he provides for 
the sickness of sin, the virus of sin, the pandemic of sin, if I may put it that way. But God has an answer and a remedy for all of that. Nicodemus is, is, is another, he's different though, in, in the fact that he's, he's caught up with self-righteousness. He's caught up in his own holiness, if you will. And according to the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 6, the prophet says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. <laughs> so even our supposed righteousness is no good. Even when we think we're righteous. And by the way, in the book of Romans, chapter 3 and verse 10, it says that there is none righteous. How many? None. That's what Paul says. There is none righteous. No, not one. And then he even goes on to say in verse 12 of that same chapter, he says that there is none that does good. No, not one. So Nicodemus, while highly educated and, and a man of wealth and affluence and, and all these things, and he was a ruler of the Jews and a member of the Sanhedrin, does not mean that he was one that, you know, had given his heart and his life to God. That's why that encounter with Jesus was so important, because all of us deal with that as well. We deal with spiritual pride. We deal with self-sufficiency. We deal with spiritual arrogance. And I want to tell you that, that I'm just speaking from my own personal experience and perspective that I think that that is what's really plagued the church. And when you think about what it says in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14, 15, and 16, um, the 17 on down, it talks about the Laodicean church and the condition that it has. Not only is it lukewarm, but it says that the problem with the Laodicean church, the seventh church, of which Christ has nothing good to say about. Of all the seven churches, this is the only church that he has nothing good to say about. And, and, and then it says, and because you say that you are rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. You see the attitude? The attitude is one of, of self-righteousness, of, of, of one that, you know, doesn't feel like it has a need for anything. And then Jesus goes on. Dr. Jesus gives a proper, um, you know, diagnosis of the problem and says, well, you know, you don't realize that you're miserable, poor, wretched, blind, and naked. <laughs> you see, you think you're this way, and you think because you have it all, you think because you've been blessed with all of these spiritual you know, things, that that makes you righteous. But he says you don't realize that your true condition is you're miserable, poor, wretched, blind, and naked. Then I love what he says. Jesus then says, but I have the remedy. Buy from me gold tried in the fire. And white raiment to cover your nakedness. And I will also give you eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you might be able to see. You see, family, what I'm sharing with you is that that's the condition. Nicodemus's condition represents even those of us who are in this last church, in this last day and age. And thank God, right? Aren't you thankful that Jesus doesn't only reveal to us our true condition, but he also provides the remedy, which is himself? <laughs> I mean, his faith, Right? It says his faith, gold tried in the fire, and then it talks about his righteousness, which covers our nakedness, and then it talks about anointing the eyes with eyesalve, which is the Holy Spirit, to help us to see our condition. Here's, here's something else that I want to point out to you. Um, it's interesting that in verse 20 of Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says, Jesus is speaking here, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and will open up the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That's the problem. That's the issue with the church. Jesus is on the outside, knocking. So it's a church that's trying to do ministry and trying to operate without Christ. 
<laughs> I mean, don't you think that that, I mean, that's a major issue, folks. We're trying to do ministry and trying to do church without Jesus. You think that the church would be different? You think our lives would be different if we just opened the door and let him come in? <laughs> makes a world of difference. A world of difference. And so I want to share with you tonight um, the master and the rich young ruler. Let me just highlight a few things about, about this, uh, this young man. Okay? The Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. And again, you find uh, the stories in all three of the synoptic Gospels in Matthew, chapter 19, and Luke, chapter 18, also shares some, some uh, about this story. And um, just want to share with you here that the rich young ruler is the ruler of a local synagogue. The word ruler in, is translated in the Greek as archon. Basically one that administrates authority. He's a leader, an official, a member of the Sanhedrin, and in charge of a local synagogue. Rich, rich a, for this position or this um, position, it's usually reserved for a member of the Sanhedrin that is much older, right? I mean, more of like they would be like your elders in the church, okay? And yet... Um, and, and they would be a member of the Sanhedrin, maybe in charge of a local synagogue. And the rich young ruler, again, is common for more older, what we, what we would say more mature men that represent the Sanhedrin. Scholars believe, though, check this out. Scholars believe, and that's why, it's, that's why he's called the rich young ruler. And there's a lot there, Brother Brian. Three powerful words, rich, young, ruler. I'm none of them. I'm not rich. I don't know about Pastor uh, Don over there, but I know that we, we pastors don't make all that much, and so I don't say I'm, I wouldn't say I'm rich, but praise be to God that I'm rich. I'm rich when it comes to the riches of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm no longer a spring chicken, um, and though I, I, won't, I won't give away my age, but I do still feel like I'm 30, my dear brother. Um, you know, and the fact that both of us have young children, praise be to God for that, right? And as far as a ruler, no, nah, I'm not a ruler. The one thing that I'm, I'm hoping that Christ will help me with is to be able to rule self and have self die and Christ rule in my life. Would you say amen to that? And so that's, you know, I'm not a rich young ruler, but there's a lot to that. Uh, most scholars believe, or scholars believe that he was actually in his 20s. Think about that. They be, scholars believe that this young man, this rich young ruler was in his 20s and that he was very intellectual, very intelligent. He's a teacher of the law. <laughs> he's a ruler of a synagogue. Again, he's rich, young ruler. Luke's account said he was a man of great wealth, um, you know, and, and, and abundance of earthly possessions. And basically, the word is plagius, which is a Greek word that exceeds rich. He had an abundance of wealth, money, and possessions. And because all three synoptic gospels basically help us to put together a profile, um, and also they give us specifics. There's a lot, again, in the, in the three words, rich young ruler. We can draw from these words, rich young ruler, that he was intelligent. He was educated. Um, again, he's a teacher of the law, which means that he has theological um, education, and he's an expert in the law of God. We can tell that he's a ruler and that 
he's an expert of the law. He's one that has been chosen to be a ruler of a synagogue. He's been able to obtain a lot of wealth by doing good business. He's an entrepreneur. He's a merchant. He's a businessman. It just seems like whatever this young man does, he's good at it. Everything that he touches turns to gold. <laughs> so here's what I'm getting at. It seems, Brian and, and Sierra, to me that this rich young ruler was so successful in everything that he did that he began to equate all of his achievements and accomplishments as being good. That's, 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 what, that's what equals being good, or that's what equates to being good. You, you, you catch where I'm, where I'm going with this, right? You know the direction that I'm heading. In other words, because of his accomplishments and his achievements, and because of all the great things that he's accomplished at such an early and young age, and the fact that he's wealthy, and the fact that he's a ruler of a synagogue, that he's well-educated, all of this stuff he equates to himself. He attributes to himself as accomplishing and achieving, and so therefore, he must be pretty good because he's done all these things. Now... We measure people today based on what they've achieved or what they've accomplished. And so the rich young ruler, it seems, may have worked hard for what he has. And the fact that he's so young, um, you know, just, just even uh, accentuates the fact that he, that he is really good at what he does. In his mind, good is associated with works. Good is associated with works. Good hard workers recognize other good hard workers, and successful people recognize successful people. Real recognizes real. So when he sees Jesus, and by the way, in the context, you discover that earlier on, Jesus was talking with the Pharisees about divorce, and then he's over there blessing the children. And I believe that the rich young ruler saw Jesus blessing the children, and he goes over to Jesus, and he wants the blessing that Christ administered to the children. Now he wants that blessing, but there's something else, too, on his heart and on his mind. Again, we measure people based on their achievements and what they've accomplished. And so the rich young ruler here is with Jesus. And he basically looks at Jesus and calls Jesus. Notice what it says in Mark chapter 7, verse 17 and 18. He says, now as he was going out on the road, this is Jesus, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher. He refers to him as good teacher. And then notice the question, what shall what? I do that I may inherit what? Eternal life. Here's the, here's the, first of all, he calls Jesus good teacher or good master. Notice how Jesus responds to him. He says, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. So, what he's trying to draw out from the young man, there are two things, two ways in which we can look at this. The first one is either this young man is acknowledging. So Jesus is saying, there's only one that's good, and that's God. Are you acknowledging that I'm God? Or Jesus is also pointing to the one, right, that is good, which is God the Father. Either way, he's trying to draw something out of the young man. But here's the point, here's the greater point, Brother Joe, that I want to make tonight, and that is this. Because of, because of all the things that he has accomplished and achieved, now what the rich young ruler wants to add to that list that he's checked off, this is a checkbox religion. <laughs> uh, uh, I've, I've done this, check. I've done this, check. I've done this, check. And now he's asking Jesus, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. In other words, he's saying, is there, some, is there something that I can do to accomplish and achieve eternal life? Do you guys, do you guys catch that? That's really, what, that's really what's in that question. He's saying, what, what can I do? In other words, he's so, he's so used to checking off the boxes that now he wants to add eternal life to that checklist as something that he can accomplish. I want to tell you folks right now, it's very, none of us can accomplish and achieve eternal life on our own. That only can happen with Jesus. Say amen? But think about that. It's a checkbox religion. I grew up in a, I grew up in a, in a, in a home where we also had that checkbox religion. Where if I, and, and don't get me wrong, these are things that are important and they are biblical and they are, also, they are also part of our relationship with God and it must be seen from a relational standpoint. But when we get to a point where now I want to keep the Sabbath because I believe that that's what's going to save me. Is my Sabbath keeping? Check. Um, I want to I become a vegetarian or a vegan as a way of salvation? Check. I want to I change the way that, listen, these things are all important. All of it's important. And all of it's part of the relationship. But when, when, when we begin to look at these things and check them off as things that, that, that earn us salvation, that's when we run into trouble. And this rich young ruler has the same issue and the same problem. He believes that because of all the things that he has done, and by the way, this is the mindset that they have. The Pharisees have the same mindset. It's this mindset that all my religious activity and all that I've done is going to earn me salvation all by my merits. And so he says, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There's no, there's no one that is good but God. I want you to notice that Jesus, Jesus wants to, Jesus wants to check the young man on his definition of what it what it is to be good. He's saying he's saying the young rich the, the rich young ruler is saying that Jesus is good, and Jesus is not denying his deity or his divinity. He's not contradicting himself because there's times when Jesus claims to be God. All of us have read that. Jesus is not contradicting himself. He claims to be God at times. So here he's inviting the rich young ruler to reflect on what it means to be good. Because he's got this idea that what you do and what you know equates to being good. When Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus is saying to him, do you know why you call me good? The rich young ruler is being checked on his definition of what it means to be good. Let me just point out that as I was growing up in my home, one of the things that we, we, we had a performance-based Christianity. Being a Christian was based upon what I did. Being a Christian was based upon um, the doing. But can I tell you that, that we got we to gotta, we gotta get this thing right. The formula Christ gives us is that it's not about doing, it's about being, and then that leads to the doing. But what we've done is we flipped it. We want to be doing in order to become and in order to be. Family, I want to share with you that we've got to understand that it's about being in Christ, Christ being in us, and then he works his works and does what he does in and through us. Would you say amen? So instead of a performance-based Christianity, 
experience. We need to have a relationship-based Christianity experience with Jesus, where it's based upon the relationship, and your relationship will dictate and determine the performance instead of the performance dictating and determining the relationship. You see, again, that's the reason why many of us struggle. We all struggle. Like, what, what else do I need to do? I mean, I don't know if anyone else in this room has struggled with that, but I know that I have. Like, growing up, and because I was growing up in a legalistic mindset, I thought, man, if I can just do, if I can just do more good, if I can just do this, if I can just stack up all these brownie points and do more good, then I know that I will have eternal life. That's what this young guy is thinking. That's his whole mindset. That's his attitude. And so he's coming to Jesus and saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because I've already accomplished all this other stuff. <laughs> I'm going to say, just because I'm in my family circle here, that this is something I believe that many of us Adventists struggle with. Let me just, let me just give it to you point blank. Many of, many of us Adventists struggle with this. The, when, when, we, when, we, when we're talking about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. I want to tell you, there's some people, it's hard for them to even utter those words. When, when I say, for by what? Grace. Huh? Grace. <laughs> it's like, it's like we, 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 we don't believe it, that we're saved by grace through faith, and that it is a gift of God, and, and not of works, lest any one of us could boast. And as I mentioned earlier, if, the, if, if any one of us any one of us could save ourselves, if any one of us can, can break ourselves free from the power of sin and break ourselves free from the power of demons, then why would we need Jesus? Why did he come down to this planet to die for us if we can save ourselves? Think about it. If we can pull ourselves up out of the pit, if we can just be good enough, if I can just, man, strain, I mean, strain with all of my strength to do what is right and to do good, then why would we need Jesus? Because we can't. Haven't you guys, I mean, don't, haven't we re, um, seen in these encounters with Jesus the human condition? The first one with John the Baptist who recognizes, man, I'm broken. Um, I have insecurities. I have questions. And then Jesus has to send him affirmation. And then Nicodemus, who has a self-righteous attitude, and Christ says to him, you must be born again. And then the woman at the well, who is a social and moral outcast, and Jesus said, I'm the living water that you need. And then earlier today, we're looking at the demoniac, who could not set himself free from the power of the enemy and from the power of the devil, and Jesus comes and delivers him. These are all speaking to the human condition, that we cannot save ourselves, that we cannot make ourselves good enough, that we need a power outside and above ourselves to help us and that is Jesus can you imagine the freedom that people can experience I'm not talking about you know I want to tell you for for a long time for a long time even when I was set free from, from being imprisoned I was still a prisoner up here I was still a prisoner up here plagued with guilt I mean riddled with guilt and shame, and, and, and still angry, and resentful, and, and I mean, man, I want to tell you, but I praise God, I praise God, that because of Jesus, he has set my mind free. 
I mean, aren't we tired of aren't we tired of carrying around all that guilt and shame, embarrassment? The enemy wants to throw up our past in our face all the time. Remind us that we're nothing. You're useless. You're worthless. He comes around and he just wants to, he, he does it all the time. I mean, he throws up our past in our faces. I'm so thankful that Jesus loves us in spite of our past. That his blood covers our past. Would you say amen? And it's for our present time and also for our future. The rich young ruler comes to Christ and he says, what must I do? The reason Jesus is checking him on the definition of the word good is because it's connected to Christ's question that he asked him. That he, that he, that he asked the, the rich young ruler and that is, let me get to it here. He's, notice what he says here in the next few verses. He says, now he's going to speak to him something that he's familiar with as a teacher of the law. He says, you know the commandments. He said, you know the commandments. Notice the ones that Christ quotes. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear, bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher. <laughs> All these things I have kept from my youth. Which commandments is Christ quoting here? The second half, right, Steve? The second half. The last six. Dealing with our relationship with who? With our neighbor. Notice he doesn't, Christ doesn't mention the first four. You know why? Because it's the last six and the way that we live those out through the, through, the, through the glory of God and through the grace of God, it's the last six that make the first four legit. <laughs> and let, me, let, me, let me tell you what I mean by that. You see, Christ, is not, Christ is not, didn't bring up the, last, the first four because people don't, really, people don't really care about our relationship with an invisible God if we mistreat them. In other words, you can, you, can, you can say all you want that you love God, that you don't have any other God before him, that you don't bow down to images, that you keep the Sabbath day holy. But none of that matters if we mistreat our neighbors and those who are marginalized, those who are outcasts, those who are on the outskirts, those who nobody cares about, those who people look down upon. If we, and even if in our church family, if we mistreat one another, if we don't love one another, guess what? Nobody cares about your profession. Nobody cares about how much you claim and profess to love God because that all goes out the window by the way that we treat each other. You see, the last six gives legitimacy to the first four. That's why Christ doesn't mention that. Because he's trying to tell the, young, the rich young ruler, he said, listen, what does the commandment say? You know, you, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teach all of these things I've done from my youth. But now Christ is going to take it further to challenge him. 
And, and, and here, let's, let me just throw this out at you. I believe it's 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Yes, it is. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says this. If a man say that he loves God, whom he does not see, and hate his brother, who he sees, he is a liar. So we can, we can, we can talk all we want to about how much we love God. How much we, we, we revere and observe the Sabbath. How much we, you know, put God first in all of the, everything that we do. But let me tell you, none of that, none of that means absolutely nothing if we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. That's a sham. By the way, that's false advertisement too. That's a misrepresentation of God if there ever was one. To claim, I mean... Look at, the, I mean, the Pharisees, right? Why was Christ always in, always in constant contention with them? Why, I mean, everywhere he went, they were always trying to get on him. And, and, and he would say, listen, man, you know, you guys, you're talking about the way that you know, he healed on the Sabbath. And so they were, they, were, they were accusing him of breaking the Sabbath by healing people on the Sabbath. Christ's greatest miracles, some of his greatest miracles took place on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, man, you guys are hypocrites because you guys have no problem pulling an animal that falls into a ditch. Out of, the, out of the ditch, but when there's a son or a daughter of, of God that is suffering, you're just going to let that person suffer? All that stuff means nothing. We can talk all we want to. But how, how, is, it being, how, is, it, how is it being lived out in your life? Can people tell in, in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when, when, when Peter and John were before the council, before the, before the Sanhedrin, you know, you, know, you know what's interesting? It says, that, it says that they had taken note because of the boldness of Peter and John. It says that they had taken note that these men, that these men, even though they were unlearned and, un, you know, they, they, they didn't have the education that they had, it says, but they had taken note that these men had been with Jesus. Can people tell that you've been with Jesus? Did I've been with Jesus? Does, does the love of God ooze out of us? <laughs> tell the people. I mean, like, I, I, I see a beautiful picture right in front of me. I see Kim holding that precious, beautiful baby girl right there. That... That's what, that's what the family of God is all about. Let me continue on. Can people tell that we've been with Jesus? The greatest argument in favor of Christianity is a loving and lovable Christian. <laughs> How's your argument? How's my argument? Um, notice what it says. Let me continue on. Oh, man, I love this. Then Jesus, then Jesus looking at him. Notice the next phrase. What does it say? What does it say, family? Loved him. Then Jesus looking at him. Loved him. And said to him, one thing you lack 
Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come and do what? Take up your cross and follow me. The Bible says, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I'm moved that when Jesus, that Jesus looked at him and loved him. I want, you to, I, want, I want all of us in this room to know that Jesus looks at us with love. Whether, listen family, whether we choose him or not, does not change God's love for us. Would you say amen? amen. And he says one thing you lack. Go and give all that you have to the poor. Sell whatever you have. You're going to have treasure in heaven. And come and take up your cross. Follow me. Let me do, you, do you think that Jesus saw in this young man potential to be a great disciple? Oh, yeah. I, 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 my, in my, I envision this young man joining this group and perhaps even being more. I, I, no, I, I should say that I, I believe that the demoniacs if they were allowed and permitted to go with Jesus, that they probably would have been more zealous than even Peter. <laughs> they probably would have had some, some interesting conversations and debates and arguments had those two um, gone with Jesus. But can you imagine, because of his entre- entrepreneurial spirit, that if he had surrendered and given his life to Christ and, 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 and recognized that his tra- and that pick up, picking up his cross and following Jesus, he would have been a great witness for Christ. A lot of untapped potential. I've always said that some of the wealthiest places, Brother Brian and Joe, are cemeteries and graveyards. Because they're buried in those graves are many that have gone down without realizing their full potential and their purpose in life. All the gifts and talents that God had entrusted to them never fully realized. I mean, wouldn't it be beautiful and wouldn't it be something if each and every one of us, by the grace of God and through the power of God, would be, that we would allow God to fulfill his purpose and his mission in our, and his calling in our lives and to maximize the potential. I mean, don't you at least want to find out? I mean, don't you want to be stretched to the nth degree? Like, Lord, you know, and I want to tell you, Pastor and and Kim, this is something that I'm experiencing. I'm I'm sure you guys are experiencing it as well. And and listen, God God redeems the time, right, that the locusts have eaten. Whatever whatever years that we have wasted, and, and again, like I mentioned earlier, God doesn't waste any of our experiences, but man, he redeems the time. One of the prayers that I am constantly praying every time, Brother Steve, as I'm sharing the gospel wherever God's take me, and, I, and, and that is this, Lord, use me up. I don't want to leave anything on the field or on the court. I want to be utilized for your glory, for your purpose, and I want to tell you that God has had no problem answering that prayer. He is used, and you know what, and I'm, I'm excited to see what more he wants to do. 
uh, because God has, God has unlimited potential. When I read a statement like what I read in, in a book called Desire of Ages where it says that there is no limit. No what? No limit to what God can do through one who laying self aside allows room for the working of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what that would be like, Brian, to be a no-limit Christian? To experience the limitless power of the Holy Spirit? Why is it, why did, why is it that those in the book of Acts experience that? And God has promised that we can have that same experience because that same Holy Spirit that operated in the book of Acts, that same Holy Spirit that's over there in Africa, that same Holy Spirit that's over there in India, that same Holy Spirit that's over there in Iran, that same Holy Spirit that's over there in China, that Holy Spirit that is over there in the Congo where they had over 20,000 people baptized, and that Spirit that is over there in all of these third world countries and just, and just thousands of people flocking to Jesus Christ and giving their hearts to Jesus Christ, that same Holy Spirit is available to us here in North America. And why not? You mean to tell me that the Holy Spirit is operating everywhere else but here? <laughs> I mean, don't, let, let me ask you guys, seriously. How many of us really, really want to, like, experience a revival? unlike any that we have ever seen or experienced before happen here in Mount Vernon happen in Bellingham happen in Lummi happen in, in, Ver- in Ferndale happen in North Cascade or Burlington happen you know everywhere I mean not just in this conference but throughout the state of Washington and then just spread throughout North America and Canada and South America why can't we have the same Holy Spirit experience that here in North America when God wants to do it I mean when Jesus says in Luke chapter 11 verse 13 he says if you parents who are wicked are willing to give good gifts to your children how much more is your heavenly father willing to give you the gifts of the Holy Spirit if you ask so it is contingent, it is dependent upon what? The asking. One of the prayers that I'm praying constantly, not just personally, but in my prayer circle, that involves Pastor Randy Maxwell, and Pastor Willie Avancu, and Pastor Romu Leah, and Pastor Meshach Soli down in San Diego, California. It's our, it's our prayer and accountability group. We are constantly praying for more of the Holy Spirit. And I believe, Pastor, that that's the reason why God is doing some of the things that he's doing. We are seeing answers to prayers. Amen. The Holy Spirit is showing up and showing out. <laughs> I mean, when I'm, man, wherever I go, I'm, 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 even on the way here, I'm like, Lord, please show up. Do your thing. Do what you do. And, and show yourself strong. Manifest your power among your people. God, Jesus wanted, the whole, Jesus wanted the rich young man to experience this. I want you to notice what else happens. Um, and, you know, the young man knew about the, the Ten Commandments. Jesus speaks about the spirituality of the law. He says, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you should not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. And then, of course, it says here, Jesus again speaking, says, you have heard 
that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her where? In his heart. The point that I'm trying to make is, again, where, where I want to get back to the, the doing. See, oftentimes we, we look at sin and we think that sin is just the act itself, but sin begins in the mind. Sin begins with a thought. And, and, and the battle is for the mind. And Jesus wants, us, Jesus wants us to have and experience freedom and victory in our minds. Would you say amen? amen? I mean, he wants to give us that freedom, folks. There's so many folks who are prisoners right up in here. There's a lot of mental issue, mental health issues that we're facing today, right? Um, a lot of, uh, you know, emotional issues that folks are, are dealing with today. I mean, just broken. Let me continue on. Gen- then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now check this out. Because I'm going to throw a little twist here at the end. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Huh. But Jesus answered and, and again and said to them, notice what he's going to add in here now, a little word he's going to add. He said to them, children, how hard it is for those who what? Trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. He began by saying that how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And, 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 and again, here's, here's, here's why this is, this is the, the, the disciples were astonished. You know why? Because as far as they were concerned, in the case of Nicodemus and in the case of the rich young ruler, they were the examples to them of what righteousness looks like. Yeah. They were the epitome of righteousness in their mind. Why? Because the mindset that they had in those days was if you were wealthy and if you were well educated and if you had all of these things, you were considered blessed by who? Blessed by God. If you were afflicted, if you were sick, if you had an ailment or disease, if you were in poverty, you were looked upon as being cursed by God. So the disciples are astonished by this, Brian. They're, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Man, did Christ just say that it's hard for those who trust in their riches to enter the kingdom of God or those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? I mean, this blew their mind. It blew, I mean, because... They had a picture that this guy and even Nicodemus and others, that they were a picture of righteousness and that's what righteousness looked like. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine what it says over there? I believe it's in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 where Jesus actually says that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. They probably were like, what on earth? Man, we can't be like that. But Jesus says, it's hard for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. So where was this young man's trust? In his what? In his wealth. Can I? So just think about that. Jesus came and dismantled. These pictures of God that folks had skewered 
pictures. Miscon- I mean, mis- uh, you know, misapprehension of God's character. No wonder why when you, when you, when you read when the disciples said, this man, born blind, is it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? See, <laughs> the disciples are, are, what are they actually saying? That he's in that condition because of something that he did and God cursed him. You see how bad that makes God look? And Jesus said, no, neither. It is so that the glory of God may be revealed. The death of Lazarus. What did Jesus say? This sickness is not unto what? Not unto death. But that the glory of God may be seen. You see? So, so we have to... Christ here is trying to change our whole, our whole perspective. Um, let's, 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 let's start to wrap this up. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were, again, the disciples, and they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Because as far as they were concerned, <laughs> this guy should have automatic entry into the kingdom. Who then can be saved? I love what it says here. But Jesus looked at him and said, with men, it is impossible. But not with God. For with God, how many things? All things are possible. Let's take the context. What's the context? The rich young man comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's attempting an impossibility. Do you know that it's just as impossible for you and me to save ourselves? And so what Christ is saying is, listen, what's impossible with men in terms of salvation, in terms of saving themselves, is possible with God. He can save us. Would you say amen? I read somewhere where it says that man, by attempting to keep the law on his own strength and to earn heaven, is attempting an impossibility. So what I'm sharing with you is, I'm praying that we, aren't you thankful that, 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 that we, don't have to, we don't have to try to earn and, and work our way to heaven and earn salvation? That God, that God offers, to, offers that to us as a gift and it's free? Would you say amen to that? It's free. Let me, let me, let me conclude with this. Now, in the previous chapter, this is interesting. Oh, man, this is interesting. It says, then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, talking about the disciples, what was it that you what? What were they doing? Arguing. He says, what was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. For on the road, they had disputed among themselves. Who would be the what? The greatest. (laughs) So check this out. Check this out. These guys, right, these guys, Joe, they're walking around with Jesus, right? And by the way, if you, if you really study what's happening, these guys have all been baptizing people. These guys have been going around. God, God gave them power to heal the sick and to, and to uh, you know, um, and to deliver 
demon-possessed people. He gave them power to perform all these miracles. So they're going around, Brother Brian, they're doing all this stuff, they're baptizing all these people. And I just imagine now that as they're walking around, they're probably comparing you know, their, each other and the works that they've been doing. You know, can you imagine Peter looking at James and John and saying, well, how many did you baptize today? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, you know, I delivered, man, so-and-so. And, I mean, you know, so that makes me the greatest in the kingdom of God. I'm going to be the one sitting next to Jesus. And then, G- and then James and John are like, no, 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 that's, that's nice. But, man, check out what we did. And then Judas comes along and says, well, I'm the one that holds the money bag. You know? I mean, think about it. They've been doing all these good works. So what they're arguing about is all the stuff that they've been doing. Now, now I want to I close with, man, this is interesting because Peter has the audacity to say this after the rich young ruler walks away. Then Peter began to say to him, to Jesus, see, we have left all and followed you. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me point out something real quickly. But one thing I'm going to give credit to the rich young ruler is this. The rich young ruler now was aware. He was now aware of his need and recognized and realized that all of his good works was not going to get him to the kingdom. At least he was now aware of that and walked away. <laughs> You know, there's some people, right? Or I should say this. He became conscious. Because, do you know that that's the reason why he was sorrowful? Because now he was like, oh, you know what? He just got me. My, check, my checklist religion is not going to cut it. But I can't give it up. He's conscious and aware now of his need, but he walks away. How many people sit in a revival series? At the end of the series, or at the end of the night, they are now conscious and aware of their need, and yet still walk out. You know what Peter just did here? Peter just compared himself, him and the disciples to that rich young ruler and said, we gave up everything for you. <laughs> no, seriously. He said, then Peter began to say, see... We have left all and followed you. It's so sad that they've been following Jesus all all around and they're still not conscious and aware. Sometimes, those who walk out of here conscious and aware of their need are in a greater position than those who sit in the church and feel like they've given all to God. Wow. Wow. So Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, there is no one, haha, <laughs> there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But check this out. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So check this out. And this, that was it. There's actually greater hope. I shouldn't say greater hope, but those who become conscious and aware of their need 
And I'm not saying that the original ruler somehow turned it around. I don't know what the rest of his life was like. I think he might have gone on and kept on going with whatever he was going to do. But check this out. I would much rather be conscious and aware of my need of Christ and have the opportunity to give my life to Christ as opposed, of, as opposed to not being conscious and aware of my, my, my need and thinking that I have it all together. That's what it means. You see, because those who think that they're first will be last. And those who are last and are conscious and recognize their need will eventually be first. Yeah. So my, my appeal tonight is this. The Holy Spirit wants to make us conscious and aware of our need for Christ. And now we are all in that same position as a rich young ruler, but how are we going to respond? Are we going to come to Jesus or are we going to walk out and be sorrowful and turn away? My prayer is that each and every one of us and those who are joining us online, because I want to tell you right now that we're in, for, we're, in for, we're in for a shock and surprise. Those who are just playing church, those who are just playing, you know, playing games with God and, and not serious about their, their relationship and their walk with Christ and have this idea that just because we come to church that that makes us first. While those on the outside who are engaged in all this stuff, but I'm going to tell you, when they hear the gospel and they become conscious and aware of their need and they respond to Jesus, why do you think Jesus t- told the, 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 the priests and leaders who were saying to him, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus said, well, I'm going to ask you a question before I answer you, uh, your question. The baptism of John, is it from God or is it from men? And they, they try to play it off and said, oh, we don't know. And then Jesus said, well, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. But let me tell you this. And then he went on to tell him about two sons. The first son, he said, will you go in my vineyard and work today? And he said, I will go. And he didn't go. And to the second son, he said, will you go? And he says, I won't go. And he did go. I might have him reversed. But, but what he was saying, what he's saying is this, is that the first son represented those who claimed to be the children of God and, and all of that. The other son are those who are on the outside. And you know what Jesus said? He said, this is the reason why even the prostitutes and the sinners will enter the kingdom of God before you do. Those who are first will be last, and those who are last will be first.